Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. And welcome back to Why Though. We are so pumped to land the plane on our Get Information series. Thank you, Beyonce. If there's a copyright issue, just let us know. <laughs> but we are so pumped. We have got the goat. We have got the pastor of Instagram. We have got the one and the only, <laughs> Pastor Rich Viotis. Now, let me tell you about Rich. If you aren't familiar with, I'm pretty sure you are, but if you aren't, and his beautiful orange-red, like a terracotta color book, The Deeply Formed Life, he is a Brooklyn-born lead pastor of New Life Fellowship, a large multiracial, multiracial church in Elmhurst, Queens. He's also a key speaker for Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, a movement that has touched hundreds of thousands of people, which if you've read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, then you are aware of that ministry. He graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Pastoral Ministry and Theology from Nyack College and completed his Master of Divinity from Alliance Theological Seminary and the Deep formed life which we're going to get into today and learn so much about him is his first book which i was surprised to learn that rich and he and his wife rosie have two beautiful children and they live in queens welcome the one and only (laughs) so good to be here thank you so much for that delightful uh introduction and kind invitation Oh, we're truly so pumped to have you. And I was just joking with him. Truly, he is the pastor of Instagram. And y'all know it. He's got like 30,000 women following him that are all <laughs> waiting in bated breath for what... You know, it's so funny. I feel like I've even talked to people like, oh, that's my favorite like mic drop one-liner he's posted. And I'm just... You're, yeah. You are ministering. You are ministering uh, in the moment. Uh, Oh, honored to hear that. Honored to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, take us beyond this bio, which I'm sure you've heard about six, no, 55 times, I believe, in all your podcast interviews. Uh Um, What what do we what's beyond this that people need to know about you? What's beyond this? Um, Let's see. I I spend uh, a good part of my days doing a few things, Uh, reading besides just pastoring a church, you know, okay, so besides just that there, uh, reading, uh, immersing myself in all things New York sports, and <laughs> watching way too many reaction videos on YouTube for all the Marvel shows that are out there. So um, <laughs> I I have gone crazy, like with WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, all the Disney Plus stuff. And I discovered, I didn't know there was something called like reaction videos of what? you watching people, watching whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, the moment when you're crying, <laughs> they're crying. I discovered this during WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And so prior to WandaVision, I never followed, I, I never subscribed to anyone on YouTube. I just, I, for whatever reason, I'm on social media, but YouTube, I subscribe to maybe 15 to 20 now uh, uh, YouTubers who do reaction videos, and I spend way too much time watching them. So, <laughs> Rich, um, would you say this is your form of self-care? Would you say that this is oh, your downtime? 
up time, up time, downtime. I mean, whatever. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it way too much, but I'm loving it. I am loving it's it. It's so. so good. So I first discovered the reaction videos because there was this, um, these twin boys oh, who went yeah. viral for listening to a Phil Collins song for the first time. Like they're oh, okay. young teenagers and had no idea that Phil Collins was like the truth. Like they didn't know. And mm-hmm. so they have this wonderful video of them, you know, their actual reaction to one of his songs. And that's when I discovered that that's a thing on the YouTube because I just didn't know. I feel like I'm too old for YouTube, Rich. But remember, so remember, so impressed. okay, y'all remember when those teens heard Jolene by Dolly Parton for the first time? <laughs> I do but you not wanna know. No. What? They got interviewed by Obama when his book came out. So I <laughs> no feel like these reaction videos can lead to big things. That's they all do. I want to say. Oh my. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm hooked. I just discovered it a couple of months ago. I'm, so I'm hooked. Mm-hmm. I'm way too much though. So I knew. Okay. It. Just, just to humor me, who's like your favorite MCU character? Oh my good. I mean, I, I, I really love Dr. Strange. I love his sarcasm. Oh. I love his dry humor. I love, I mean, his powers are really cool as well. Uh, so him, he's awesome. Uh, ironically, and two guys who played Sherlock Holmes, you know, and, and Tony Stark as well, Robert Downey Jr. So those two guys are like kind of my classics uh, that I just absolutely uh, just love. So I, I'd say Iron Man and Doctor Strange are probably my go-to guys. I just have to say, when his mother named him Benedict, Benedict Cumberpatch, you were either going to be <laughs> a scholar or, or an actor. You had one of two yeah. choices. Yeah. Doctor yeah. Dr. Cumberpatch, calling Dr. Cumberpatch. I'm just saying, it could fit. Sure. So, Rich, I had the pleasure of living in um, New York for four years with my family in Harlem, in Manhattan. And um, we have a whole thing, me and my husband, where we fully believe that the best food in all five boroughs is in Queens. So uh, can you tell us if we, we are right about this, since you're a lifelong New Yorker and born and raised Brooklyn and now living in Queens, does Queens, in fact, have the best food in all five boroughs? That is without question. Uh, <laughs> and, and I say this as uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm from New York City, but I'm from Brooklyn. Whenever I go anywhere, I don't say I'm from Queens. I say I'm from Brooklyn. Right, right. I'm 42. I spent my first 34 years in Brooklyn, the last eight years in Queens. Uh, so I'm Brooklyn through and through. But you're not going to get better food than in Queens. Mm-hmm. The, the only challenge is... Um, first of all like there's a neighborhood in queens called jackson heights where mm-hmm. um if literally on on within a two block radius you're going to get foods from probably eight to ten different countries mm-hmm. um so and these are just like mom and pop kind of restaurants they're not chain stores franchises um but the food is uh, amazing and no place like queens Right. It's heaven on earth. That's one of the things, Cody, and I loved about it is because it's so richly diverse, but so down to earth. You know, you could say mm-hmm. that about all the boroughs, but there's something about Queens that just feels like home. Mm-hmm. And um, everywhere you go in Queens and people are kind and they say hello to one another. And, you know, people are still they're doing what they do because it's New York. But it's still like there's a respect around the neighborhood. It's just like, you know, say hello, be kind to your neighbor. Like we take care of each other here. And I feel like you can really feel that in Queens. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, you and you feel it in Queens. I think part of it is the immigrant Right. Uh, mm. a reality where 50% yes. of Queens is foreign born. Right. So wow. um, to give you a sense as to like on my, in my apartment building on my floor, they're probably of my neighbors, at least seven or eight different 
countries represented on my floor. So, uh, and most, many of them are just uh, immigrated to uh, their first or second generation immigrants. So part of that is the hominess, the hospitality, the mm -hmm. welcome. It has to do with just the immigrant experience, I think. It's so true. I definitely experienced that. It's beautiful. And that makes me think of your church too. It's so beautiful, the church that you lead and what you're doing there. And how how has it been for you <laughs> this last mm. year? Like, we love hearing from pastors, which you don't get to hear from folks that often unless you're connected to a pastor who's not, you know, in the mainstream news on a regular basis. But I think people mm. can get a bad idea about pastors or churches. And what's it been like for you to pastor in this last year? And what's it like pastoring such a beautiful multiracial church? And it's true, like, it's true diversity. We've been, we've experienced your yeah. faith community it's it's a gorgeous church and and true diversity so tell us what's that been like for you uh last year you know 2020 was the most difficult year uh but you know but i don't know if that's just me i, I think a lot of pastors would say the same thing because global pandemic political hostility racial injustice economic challenges so uh and and you add that to just the normal struggles of being a community, you know, right. the normal yeah. struggles of being a human being. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's been very difficult, but uh, all in all, I think pastoring a church with people from over 75 nations, uh, it's, it's beautiful and very complicated. Right. Um, because uh, at some point in a given year, someone is going to feel left out. Mm. Um, and I'll give you an example. We had scheduled an AAPI conversation with four of our Asian American pastors uh, on the day that the George, uh, um, the man who killed George Floyd, uh, his, his name is escaping me now. Derek um, Chauvin. Derek Chauvin. Yeah. When that verdict came in, we were going to have an AAPI conversation, but we didn't know what the verdict was going to come in that day. So we postponed right. that conversation um, and and had it another day. But in the postponement, which everyone recognized was a good decision, there were still some within the Asian Asian American community that just felt once again marginalized. Like right. we are tip, you know, we our voices are not prominently viewed in this very black and white racial conversation in the United States. Uh, and so even like a small move like that, we feel kind of the, the tensions of that. Um, whenever, whenever Christmas comes around and we usually have scripture readings in many different languages, inevitably someone comes up to me after the service and says, when's my language going to be <laughs> you know, featured yeah. on Christmas? I'm like, get online, man. I mean, you got a lot of people here, a lot of different right. languages. Yeah. So at some point, because of our diversity, it's beautiful. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've understood scripture more because of the diversity. Uh, the food is remarkable. We have this event called Taste of the Nations every year. That's oh, unbelievable. That's so um, good. It's like a church potluck or like... Exa exactly order. right. Oh, no, okay, if you want to send us the date, if you want to send us the date in advance, we would love we, we would we, love to join you there. We have, we have a Taste of the Nations event every oh, New Year's Eve. Oh, every New Year's Eve. So it's a massive Eve. thing. 
And then we have oh. a New Year's we have a New Year's Eve party. So for twenty years, last year was the first year that we did not have a party. But for twenty years, we bring in a DJ, we teach <laughs> salsa or bangra dancing. Mm. Uh, we have you know we were on the dance floor doing the electric slide, and then midnight comes, we repent, say Lord, we're sorry for all that, and then uh, and then we just <laughs> worship. So that's what we've been doing that for twenty years. It's fantastic. Oh, <laughs> oh that, my god, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, it one of the is. things I was uh, sharing with Ashley before you hopped on here was as I read. Um, different portions of the deeply formed life was how when you quoted scholars or historians or theologians, you you named like, oh, this Puerto Rican theologian or this German scholar or this just honoring their uh, their ethnicity and the way that they see the world and their unique experience. And so mm-hmm. I can only imagine how on a micro level you're able to amplify that um, within just a few blocks, as you mentioned, of Queens, uh, but also just in your work, it really came yeah. through for for those who aren't in your mm. couple square miles, square square blocks of where you're at. Yeah, it really, really came through. So, um, as we dive into these form formative practices that you lay out, can you expand on those five values for a deeply formed life? And I'll read them for you because I just thought they were so. And not that you don't already know them, but just for our, <laughs> for listeners, our listeners, I love yeah. <laughs> because it's interesting that um, I, I, I mean. From the contemplative books that I've read, it's very rare that you see racial justice with interior examination, with missional presence, with sexual wholeness, with, you know, racial justice and and contemplative Mm -hmm. rhythms. Those aren't usually, those are separate books. And you're like, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. A whole life, a deeply formed life requires us melding these and integrating these all together. So what was, what was the angle there? What, what got you going in that direction? And can you unpack that a little more? Yeah, you know, I mean, three things come to mind with regard to me trying to hold all these values together. What a lot of folks don't know is the five values that I cover in the book are actually the five values of our congregation. Right. Uh, and so for a number of years, we have uh, identified inductively. We didn't just come up one day and say, all right, these are the five values. It was through trial and error, through what we felt was the Holy Spirit leading our congregation in different seasons to just say, this is what we want to amplify. This is what we want to, um, uh, you know, put the flag down right here on these particular values. Now at New Life, we call them our five M's. So uh, they are monastic, multiracial, emotional health, marriage to Christ, and missional. I know the Mm -hmm. third one doesn't start with an M. Uh, it's emotional. I'm, but I'm troubled by this. That's, just the, so you that's, know. The, best, that's the best we could do. We capitalize the M in all of our print materials and all that there. But anyway. Lo- um, well, you know what's good about that is that I'm not going to assume you're Baptist. So good for you for not using <laughs> all M's because I might not right. come, Rich. You know I might right. not come. <laughs> Although I am an alliteration junkie. Uh, yeah, but, every pastor uh, is. I know. I'm like, <laughs> don't you? Isn't that like a rite of passage as a pastor? But anyway, carry on. We won't. Sorry. We're, we're, we're very... I experienced a dark night of the soul when I could not find another M. I know uh, you did. So I, I was know like, you did. I was like, Lord, I'm struggling, Lord. So we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. Uh, so those values <laughs> are the values of our congregation. And um, what I, what I wrote the book holding these values together, first of all, because I wanted to write something for the people I love and pastor every single week. Right. And I heard so many questions, you know, what, when you say, when you preach about contemplative rhythms, what do you mean? When you talk about racial justice, what do you mean? When you talk about 
uh, you know, interior examination, what do you mean? And so for me, I wanted a resource to give to my own people um, who are, you know, new members or leaders so that you could say, here, this is what it means to be part of this community. It just so happened that because our congregation is so diverse uh, and international, the values were going to just transcend our local space in Queens. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but, I, but first of all, I wrote it because of the congregation I pastor. Secondly, I wrote it because uh, these individually, these values have really shaped my life over the 23 years I've been following Jesus. Uh, and so in different seasons of my life, I was introduced to these values. And as a result, I just love, I mean, I could talk about contemplative rhythms all day and all, all the stuff that I write about, I can talk about all day because individually I love them. But thirdly, and I think most importantly for the work of the project, I was trying to offer a vision, an ambitious vision of spiritual formation for this generation. And that maybe sound like a bit, a bit of an overreach or a bit presumptuous, um, but I just felt in my conversations with pastors from around the world, um, I, you know, we need to hold these values together and resist formational compartmentalization right. uh, because, because some folks say, you know what, um, that, you know, contemplative rhythms is good for people who live maybe in rural areas, but it doesn't work in the city mm -hmm. or that racial justice stuff is great for people in the urban context, but not so much for people in suburbia. And I'm saying, no, if you're a follower of Christ, no matter where you live, all of these values must be held together for the particular cultural and social moment that we find ourselves in. And so mm -hmm. I, I was trying to offer really a vision of what spiritual formation can be for this generation. Right. Mm -hmm. And you do. I feel like, you know, you have this way of tying all these things together in a way that makes people want to know God and makes people want to understand scripture because it, it, our lives are so interesting. Our life is so compelling. I mean, if you just look around the life people are living, the things that they're facing, mm -hmm. like life is complicated, it is hard. Yeah. And most people have many struggles in their life. That is just the reality. And I think that you offering this lets people know hey, God is still interesting. The gospel is still mm. interesting. You know, church community is actually still interesting. Like, why wouldn't you want to be a part of this? And Because you're unveiling to us that this is who God is and this is what God cares about. Instead mm. of just making Sunday or making somebody's church experience this, this thing that they do rather than mm -hmm. a full embodied experience. And I, I think I love that most about your teaching. And, and it's, this is true of most contemplative teachers that I love is that it's embodied and it's incarnational mm. and it makes me feel feel like Christ is here with me and that he cares about these ordinary things that nobody else cares about. And he cares mm. about my daily rhythms and he cares about the injustices that bother me, you know, and he cares mm -hmm. that I'm reflective and repentant. Like he cares about these things. And I, I, I want to thank you for that. Cause I know that is some, some real hard life work. <laughs> like this, what you're, for, In order for you to teach this, you have got to be like doing the real hard life work. <laughs> so thank you for that example to the rest of us. <laughs> Yeah. No, and I, I really appreciate that. And and and, and part of uh, along those lines is, um, for whatever reason, I've had lots of conversations with people who have been de-churched, uh, you know, mm -hmm. unchurched. Um, they're uh, deconstructing right now, and um, I'm trying to offer a, a, a vision of Christianity that says, no, right. this this is. Um, a vision that's not just relevant for your life, but it's life-giving and comprehensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and God wants to 
meet you in every facet of your life's existence. So, uh, which I found on Instagram, I mean, we joked about Instagram, like I've been surprised to see, when I post on Instagram, I'm posting for so many people who have given up on the church, but not not on Jesus. And they're trying to figure out how to find themselves back into the church. Those are the people that come to mind when I'm on social media. Um, And so the Deeply Formed Life really is the outworking of in a sense, my pastoral and evangelistic heart. Right. Mm. So beautiful. You can feel it. The way that you speak, and this is something that I was so taken by the book, of the fatigue of the body, the fatigue of the mind, and fatigue of the soul. And when I look at, like you were just saying, whether it's the book or your posts or your preaching or little snippets I see um, in different places you've been featured, I feel like you address those three uh, so beautifully and so honestly. And as you said, we are in this era of deconstruction, especially if you grew up in 90s evangelical culture, but then also mm. with the political unrest and the racial unrest, people are like, if this is Jesus, I don't I don't want it. And just giving new vision, giving mm. new vision for what could be a Jesus who we want to follow, a Jesus who speaks, just as Ashley said, to felt needs, to spiritual mm. needs, to financial needs, to racial needs, emotional needs. Um, it really is. It really is so beautiful. So what would you say uh, in this moment of this deconstruction and this racial unrest what what do you think people need right now that they're overlooking Mm. um with regard to all the unrest yeah um you know when when i think about and i I see this in our church and so this is I, i think my answer is coming right out of the life of our community which i think is uh transcends our community um I think the moment that we are in right now calls for, and I don't want to be too simplistic here, but um, I, I think it calls for greater intentionality to embrace the idea of differentiation. Right. And d- differentiation is, um, it fl- flows out of family systems theories. I'm a student of family systems theory for a number of years. And, um, and I'm, I'm writing about this in my second book, actually, that's coming out next year in the summer. Um, but differentiation is the process of holding on to myself or remaining close to myself while remaining close to others in times of high anxiety mm-hmm. and resisting the polar opposite pull to be fused into someone or to cut off from someone. Yeah. Um, and so, so much of that has to do with navigating our anxiety and holding space well. I don't know if um, we can move beyond within our communities and our families, but the kind of divisiveness and intensity, unless we are intentionally doing that kind of work, but it requires a level of presence to ourselves and to God that most people just don't have time for, or many people have not seen been discipled into that Um, but no roadmap for it so but i I think it's in the holding of that kind of space um that the kind of healing that we're longing for uh will will actually begin to be produced i'll give you one example of how we work this out in our church uh which had nothing to do with me but with the people in our congregation who have been working on this kind of differentiation. Uh, Two weeks before the election, um, one of our pastors, a woman by the name of Helen, said to me very excitedly, 
hey, Rich, I think I have a great idea for an event before the election. I think we should have a forum to have a conversation um, with two people in our church on Zoom before everyone in our church, you know, and our church is pretty, you know, 1,500 people, as many people want to come. And we'll identify two people, one person who's going to vote for Trump and one person who's going to vote for Joe Biden. And we should just have a form why they're, why they're voting for each person. And she emailed me that. And with great faith and unshakable, um, you know, trust in God, I said, you're crazy. We're not going to do that. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been my uh, response, too, as a pastor. <laughs> Helen, we love you. Helen, we love you, Helen. Listen, <laughs> Helen, if you want to lead that conversation in your own home at your dinner table, good idea. But oh no. My goodness. So, so, <laughs> oh, so she said that. I'm like, Helen, what do you think? What, what do you think? This is the emotionally healthy church or the deeply formed church? What <laughs> right. are you talking about? We're not doing that. Right. And, and it was along those lines where she was encouraging me to say, no, I think we can model something, Rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, um, okay, with great fear. And we had the event. We identified two um, of our elders, actually, mm-hmm. a, a Korean-American man and a Puerto Rican man. One was voting for Biden. One was voting for Trump. And it was moderated by a 20 maybe 27 year old uh young yeah young black man and Mm. he was so this is queens right so this is what we got a korean puerto rican and a black man just having a conversation on politics in front of a couple of hundred people or so and i was so moved by a couple of things their level of presence towards one Mm. another their level of curiosity and was it awkward? Oh, there were plenty of awkward moments. Mm-hmm. I kept looking at the chat. I was like, oh, God, look what's <laughs> happening in the chat section right now, you know? Uh, and But I think they modeled something that you just don't see in the world. It was differentiation. How do I hold on to myself while remaining close to others in a time of high anxiety? I don't, that's so overlooked because it requires so much work right. to yeah. do that. Uh, in order to remain present and to hold on, not to hold disregard my values that I believe are informed by the gospel, um, right. but it takes so much work. So I think that's one of the most overlooked areas, which is why we keep seeing the problems we see in our world. This takes a lot of time, internal, you know, interior examination, prayerfulness, but most folks don't have the time to do that or don't yeah. see the, the, the value of doing it. Yes, yeah. I agree with you. I feel like part of my um, my dissonance at times with the church over the last 20 years has been, you know, both as a person in clergy leadership and as a person who's just attended churches is that, you know, because I can't I come out of the recovery world. And in recovery, you have to understand boundaries and you have to understand mm. connection. And if you want to heal from things like codependency, then you really do have to have a, a real solid understanding, uh, understanding of differentiation, like where do I end and other people begin? Yes. And so it's been that this message of recovery or differentiation or boundaries or being a safe person, basically, like these messages Mm -hmm. have got to get in, like worked into the dough of the body Mm -hmm. of Christ, because we are Mm -hmm. having so much trouble staying connected, but we cannot, you know, continue to divorce ourselves from others. And there are times where people are unsafe and we cannot be in their life and they cannot be in our life. But to be honest, those are the minority of the relationships Mm -hmm. that we share, Mm -hmm. not the majority. And my biggest fear 
in all of this anxiety, in the rise of this digital age, is that we will continue to divorce ourselves in the body of Christ, and we cannot experience God in all his fullness without experiencing mm-hmm. God through each other. And so I feel like this message is is one we so desperately need, and one that is needed no matter where you live in the body of Christ. Like, you could be in the middle of North Dakota, or you could be in the right. middle of Queens, or here in Los Angeles, or in Tacoma, where Tiffany is, and like, everyone needs this message of healing mm. and wholeness, and that it's possible to hold space and hold your convictions like that's really possible you know you don't have to choose one or the other you know you don't have to continue Mm -hmm. to you know fight against things that don't need to be fought against it's like just everybody get healthy okay like (laughs) i know we're worried about systems but like get healthy too okay (laughs) (laughs) and 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 i've seen it it's not like this is something in theory i've seen Mm -hmm. people and, and I've seen some really unhealthy stuff in our congregation as well. So I'm not right. trying to paint a, a, a romanticized vision of our congregation. Right. There's been plenty of people who have set, sent me some nasty letters and have left the church and right. uh, did not hold space well. At the same time, we're seeing some wonderful models of this kind of healthy differentiation. Right. Mm. When I hear that, uh, just just the passage, they'll know your Christians by your love. Mm-hmm. Like this, this I feel like mm-hmm. if we want to talk revival, it's going to come through understanding this differentiation right. and being able to be outrageously rooted and self aware mm-hmm. in who Jesus is and in kingdom principles, while also humanizing the other and mm. allowing them to be their own person. I think. Yep. I mean, just like you said, this is coming from family systems and. Um, Ashley and I have four boys between us, and she also has a little queen as well. But uh, it, when I think of even my 10-year-old son right now and just the importance as he's <laughs> a preteen and don't unknow it, and just this this, <laughs> this idea of differentiation, I can see my parenting going one of two ways, being this ultra-authoritarian mama, tiger mama, if you will, or right. understanding your own person. And right. I have to let you be, even when you struggle, even when we disagree, even when fill in the blank. Mm. And so just, this is necessary to get through life yes. without feeling disappointed. Yes. Without yes. feeling like everyone's failing you all the time. Yes. It, yeah. it, and, and without it, there is a, a sense of egocentric way of occupying the world. And so mm-hmm. to truly, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, so summer 2022, you say? Summer 2022? <laughs> next, next summer. Next we'll summer. Is coming. We'll yeah, absolutely. You can sign us up for your launch team, okay? So yes. We'll be there. I, I'll send you an email. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's so important. So some of this health and um, emotional maturity, like, does that come from being a part of the faith community that you're part of before you were the lead pastor? Because if if those of you listening know and have ever heard of Pete Scazzaro and the Emotionally Healthy Leader, maybe some of you have read that book. This is the same faith community that Pastor Rich is pastoring at. So has that influence shaped your life? Or were you kind of always wired this way to be curious about God and want to have, you know, a sense of wholeness and health? Like, tell us a little bit about his influence on you. Yeah, definitely not my entire life. I'll, and I'll briefly, I mean, I became a Christian at 19. And uh, long story short, 15 of my family members became Christian on the same night. Oh, my parents, wow. my my siblings, cousins, uncles, a dog. I mean, everybody came to Christ that <laughs> night. And, Big um, dog, little dog. How, how much it, it salvation a, it, did it, the it, dog it, need? I need to know. Well, he was a chihuahua. His name was Milo. <laughs> He got a lot of demons Satan's in him. Satan's dog. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. literally needed to get saved. <laughs> he had a lot of demons in him, that dog. Uh, so I was glad for his salvation. Uh, so, As we but, all are. Yeah. <laughs> but soon after that, here's, here's, the, here's my heart's cry. I, I hear these 
painful stories of people leaving church, deconstructing. And um, on an emotional level, I am so, uh, that's not my story because from the onset, I was exposed to uh, a church and a community of people and mentors that, that showed me a different way. And uh, from the onset of my, my journey, I remember two years after becoming a Christian, I went to a, a Christian college and a professor um, led a spiritual formation class in which he had me write a 10-page grief journal. And uh, in writing that grief journal, um, he had me explore areas of pain uh, in my soul mm-hmm. that um, I, I didn't know existed. So my, the, the very onset of my Christian journey, I was becoming aware of some of the pains from my history. Uh, so that was me as a 21, 22-year-old, and I was being discipled in that way. When I got to New Life as a 28-year-old, um, you know, uh, almost some 14 years ago, um, it was then where I met Pete Scazzaro, and he was and continues to be uh, probably the most significant mentor uh, in my life. And his, you know, the basic premise of emotionally healthy spirituality is it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, uh, that those two things cannot coexist. So I, I being with him uh, and seeing him in action up close for many, many years, um, I mean, I, I could talk about Pete and his influence for hours, but um, he very significant. But I had a very good um, start to my journey, and then Pete helped take it to the next level in terms of growing in self awareness and uh, rhythms and self care and all that stuff. There. Mm. Oh wow! Also, I just want to say that speaks to mentorship and discipleship, y'all. Just mm-hmm. if there's it three does. people in your world, like if that isn't a reason enough to think, man. Out of the overflow of my life, out of the right. health and what God has given me and led me, yeah, let me lead somebody else. Oh, that just, I just, I love a good mm. discipleship story, man. Those just me never too. get old. Oh. And especially mm-hmm. to know a father in the faith still exists, you know, Come that on. there's still, Come on. that that's still yeah. real on some level, that there are fathers and mothers of the faith who, who enjoy continuing to serve mm-hmm. people as they grow. And um, I'm so grateful that you had that because we're all benefiting from that. Yeah, mm. we are. I think especially in this celebrity pastor culture that we live in right. now because of social media, I think even more so to know that the interior work that no one sees Come is on. still the most important thing. Yes. Still the most important thing. Still what needs Absolutely. to be stewarded and, and, and grown in a way that honors Christ, honors oneself and honors each other. Mm, so good. Mm-hmm. Any last word for the listeners, Rich? Last word, um, uh, let's see here. Um, I would say for, uh, we're still in a moment in our nation and in the world. I think about what's happening in India right now. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of pain, lots of disorientation, people still yeah. trying to figure it out. I have two kids that are being still being uh, going to school remotely. Um, and uh, in this very disorienting moment, I think one of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves is lots of grace grace for ourselves out of which we give that out to the world so uh, i would say be be really gentle with yourself in these moments um Mm. i have i have had to i've been exhausted um Mm. you know just uh kids here all the time working nonstop. it's hard when you're working from home to Mm. recognize things get blurred into everything is blurred and so there's no concrete 
separation between work and what's not work and yes. and all that. And I've just had to learn to be really gentle with myself and all my offer myself a lot of grace because we've never been here before right. uh, as a nation, as as in, in this generation here, we've never had this level of disorientation, and it's all good. My, my my number one thing that I say to my staff whenever something doesn't go right, you know, the the the, the internet didn't work, the live stream, I goes. Guys, don't worry about it. We're in a pandemic. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's given me a lot of great boss points for my staff. And I really mean it. I'm just like, what else yeah. are we going to do? We're in a pandemic. That's right. Yes. Whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, be gentle with yourself. We're in a pandemic. That's okay. beautiful. You, you done you. did this to yourself, but now I need to know your Enneagram number. By that answer of how you handled conflict uh, hard <laughs> moments. Yes. What is it? You're, you're you, either you a three say- or a seven. I'm a seven without question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh there we go. Yeah. So part of that is my personality. Part of it is my shadow side that avoids pain, mm-hmm. uh, and which is you know indicative of, of the seven there. But I'm just like, whatever. It's all yeah. good. We're going to be all right. Let's have some candy. So that's a seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh oh, you could have said so coffee much. you could have said liquor but you said candy that was uh-huh. the most that's right that's right if, if this is another podcast i might have gone a different direction but this right. is <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep that clean rate and rich. Oh, Pastor Rich, thank you so much for coming on Why Though and for sharing your life and your stories with us and with our listeners. We we are so thankful to have you in our orbit and to be learning from you, you on a daily basis. Thank God for the internet. And we're praying for you and for your family and for the great work that you're doing in the city and around the world. And we're very serious about Launch Team. We'll have to sign up all of our audience. So you guys take some notes, put it on your calendar for next year. We're going to join Rich's Launch Team. Yes, we are, everybody. Get in formation. Really great Get in formation. All right. And we'll see you next week. Why the listeners? And to so find much. out all about Rich, you can check the show notes to links to his books and all of the good work he is doing. Until next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit tiffanybloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.